0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWires Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us.
1: Well, initially, um, it was a discovery made by Sulian and team. So they had identified this new variant of Ursenif. Uh The team itself has, you know, for a long time, um, you know, done research into that malware family. And I think that we even had some of the initial research um, on the last publicly disclosed variant, which was Saigon, um, which was fairly short lived.
0: Our guests this week are Jeremy Kennelly and Suleon Lebeg from Mandiant. The research is titled From RM3 to LDR4, Ursniff Leaves Banking Fraud Behind.
2: In June 2022, we catch a new campaign wave.
0: That's Suleon Lebeg.
2: With... A classic pattern that it's a classic big mail where um, the content was uh, some human resource recruitment from a company called Michael Page. And Michael Page, for those who are unaware, uh, it was also the same kind of pattern used by RM3 marking malware. And the thing that catch us, it's... We were supposed to see an RN3 payload for this banking malware. Weirdly, we saw that on our side, not our monitoring was unable to identify it. So we did a, a deeper investigation into it and we realized that it was a totally new branch of this banking malware. And the fact it was even old, it's in fact, there was not anymore any barking features inside, but it was just remodeled as a simplified backdoor with very specific purposes.
1: So this was a distribution campaign we would have previously expected to deliver Ursniff uh, RM3 and instead was delivering this new malware, correct? Exactly, exactly, exactly.
0: Can you give us a little bit of the background here? I mean, uh, UrSniff itself uh, has been around for quite a while, yes.
2: Exactly. Um, So basically, UrSniff, if you want to do some archaeology stuff, it started in two thousand six, and over the time, with a lot of upside down, um, a lot of things happened around the twenty in the twenty tens. Yes, uh, some stuff goes a bit well because the code was splitted into two big parts. So um, we call Ursnif V2 or Gozi V2. And this side was going into a very specific position. And on the same side, a fork called ISFB arrived into the market in 2012, 2013. And this branch is currently the only alive branch from Erosniff. And it seems that this specific branch was working into a very unique marketing model. It's like every person that wanted to get part of the code have to pay, it seems, the developing team kind of royalties to have their own specified fork. So all the EarthNIF variants uh, that you are seeing since 2013 uh, that have a very specific name means it's unique gong behind that have all the royalties behind. So if you are hearing, for example, ISFB TrimBot, ISFB AAP, or ISFB RM2, and rm 3 and loader 4 are uh, just basically a very unique gong behind that paid for having their unique piece of code just for them.
0: Well, let's dig into this discovery here of LDR4. Um, Can we walk through how someone would find themselves victim of this and and then what happens next? I can give a a
1: brief beginning to this and then, Sully, and you can kind of pick it up if I drop anything. In theory, there's many vectors by which someone could become victim to the malware the malware itself is uh, transparent to the delivery vector however what we ourselves have seen and historically what we've seen with other variants of malware used in a similar fashion is that generally the initial access vector is going to be via email which is what we saw in this case as well the one thing that's different um, as far as the outcome is that you know, following the trend that we've seen across many different malware families previously used for um, you know credential theft or as banking trojans, is that a lot of that functionality has been stripped out? So it's more clear in this case that the users of this malware have shifted to a model where they're likely looking to obtain access to networks uh, rather than specifically looking to harvest credentials or um, you know, generate fraudulent uh, banking transactions uh, on victim hosts.
0: Well, let's walk through the, the actual behavior here. I mean, someone finds themselves infected with this. What's going on on their system, and what what is it capable of doing?
2: So basically, when you are infected, it's um, the first thing is doing the malware. It's to do some requests that are coded into the payload itself. The so requests are just basically some fingerprinting, checking if it's from a corporate network or no. And so it's a basic system info request. And thanks to this, the malware will push it into the C2 servers. And then uh, the ground behind can do just a simple triage to classify the boat as interesting and garbage. I would say like this. So, the garbage one would be reselled into credential um, harvesting stuff. And the good one would be set for reselling the machine for lateral attacks for some ransomware gang. So, they would give, give the bots, they would give the machine to some red team affiliates ransomware gong And then starting to do some. You know, the classic stuff for getting access step by step to the wall architecture of the wall network of the victim machine. If it's on the corporate network, then trying to do some credential investing or trying to steal all kind of juicy information. And when it's done, pushing the ransomware payload. This is how it's going right now.
1: I think it's also important to note that as soon as, you know, effectively the way this is working is it's opening a door up to the attackers who sort of operate Loader 4 itself. So they have a panel that will allow them to sort of uh, make decisions about how they want to treat that access. And so everything that happens after Loader 4, although, you know, we've certainly seen many consistent trends Across the tools and malware and and, and general uh, behavior of the attackers that are engaging in post-exploitation you know, data theft and ransomware operations, you know it is human-driven at that point. So it's difficult to speak with too much detail about what exactly will happen once they've decided that that access is worth monetizing. But you know it will follow a larger trend of these kind of um, you know uh, ransomware intrusions, which do again follow a similar arc but will be completely dependent to the particular operator.
0: The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now employees, apps and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So this provides the the backdoor into the system, and then from there, they can basically run whatever code they choose. Is that Accurate?
2: Technically, they can just do very specific command like loading a DLL into the machine victim, starting to do some remote shell um, activities like starting the, sh- the, the shell on the machine and do what they want on it. And the last type of command is just to run a simple CMD command like, okay, I want the host name. Code. I want the, the IP config of the machine. I want uh, the host name of the machine. It's like they have a really simple terminal access on every kind of machine that has this malware installed.
1: And the, and this these simple tools effectively give them arbitrary access. But it is a very simple set of tools that this this gives them
0: access to. I see. So what do we make, of, if anything, of, of the fact that they've sort of distilled this tool down? As, as you mentioned, they've, they've removed uh, some of the banking functionality in here, uh, making this a more simplified tool. Is, can we, is there anything to be made of that in terms of why they would be doing that?
2: Mm, so um, just to answer this question, you have to understand that for years and years and years, the so banking malware was a very lucrative business. And over the years, this lucrative business start to, of course, decline. And the, the thing is like also over the years, all the banking fraud has been basically monitored. And also there is a lot of solutions these days for banking customers to help them to, Counter attack this kind of fraud. So over the years, the the bad guys or the gang behind this kind of activities have their return on invest, their return of investments decreasing. And so they have to find basically more and more skilled people. They need a lot of money. So you have to pay them. Also, you have to pay the Monday laundry side. So you have to find some money mills. A manager behind and then you have to you have to be sure that the money laundry will go on in a correct way so you have to think that this budget is rising and on the other side because this budget is rising the money behind all this business will decrease so over the years it was okay and it reached at a point or uh, it was not interesting to do it and with the run somewhere, coming and rising over the time, they realize that, okay, by removing all this money mill side and all this activity about recruiting skilled guy for trying to fraud, they remove everything and they have just basically no one single thing. Try to provide a very specific Malware that uh, that gives access to the red team affiliate ransomware gang, and just by having a percentage of getting accesses to it to guide the ransom after deployed is more interesting that all the process I explained before because there is just much less people involved, and somehow it it could be safer for them to have less mistake and also Uh, less processes into the pipeline to get the money clean or to do the money laundry because now it's, there is not anymore any transaction to be do, to be, to be done. It's just cryptocurrency stuff. And then just going to any kind of companies that can switch your Bitcoin into the currency you want. And the work, the work is done.
0: I'm curious, so in terms of of organizations protecting themselves against this, what are your recommendations? what are, what are some of the best ways to prevent uh, falling victim here?
1: I think from a high level, not you know it doesn't it hasn't really changed
0: the model
1: overall this is This is most notable because it's an evolution of a historically very important Fairly prevalent uh, banking malware, which just in it, in itself is following a larger trend. So we've seen, um, you know, you know, for example, you know, with uh, Drydex and Trickbot, which were highly complex, fully featured, you know, uh, intensely developed banking malware. We didn't see them get rebuilt in exactly this way, but we did see them evolve to get used in this same way. And so I think what this does is it just furl- further highlights an overall trend of malware previously used for banking and now sort of shifting to be you know uh, you know one of the last bastions out there kind of shifting to a model where it's now you know very clearly uh, being intended for used uh, to provide access. I think you know, kind of expanding on the previous answer as well a little. I think that you know it was also clear that the developers behind RM3 uh, or the the you know that that malware, because of the deprecation of Internet Explorer, which it relied on so heavily for much of its functionality, you know, it was required that they rebuild um, their ecosystem, and so this this sort of rebuilding process presumably gave them a chance to kind of rethink. What their objectives were, what their market is, and you know they they clearly showed by what they ended up with as a tool here that access is their objective. And kind of pivoting back um, as far as uh, defending yourself, uh, what to expect. I think that you know it's still this stage of the attack. You know, you know, there's lots of sort of generic approaches that a lot of practitioners take, which are still important. Um, you know, around. Sort of general, um, you know, uh, network hygiene, ensuring that you have, um, you know, o- appropriate defenses at the email layer that you're uh, detonating payloads, and all of these things still remain important. But one, you know, I think that from my perspective, there, you know, it's once once they get into the network, that's where we start to see a lot of this activity converge. And so there's a. Uh, it's also really important that defenders pay attention to sort of not just the way all this activity is highly distinct, but the way it is all similar. And so we see lots of use of things like, again, as Sulian stated, Cobalt Strike, uh, Brutal Rotel, other attack frameworks like that, you know, uh, common tools for privilege escalation um, or um, lateral movement, uh, things like AD Find, things like... Um, You know, common exfiltration tools such as ArcClone. You know, uh, legitimate utilities um, such as PsExec and Bloodhound. There's lots of sort of common points of um, you know common points that attackers touch networks with um, that are common across all of this activity. So I think that answering questions about you know defense individual cases like this is challenging, since I think it doesn't significantly change threat landscape, but it does give us an opportunity to kind of at least highlight the the ways that this activity is similar across cases.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and I think I think the bigger picture that you point out here, Jeremy, just that you know we are seeing or we have seen this this evolution, uh, and I guess to some degree some specialization here of you know d- jettisoning the parts of uh, these malware families that. Are no longer necessary.
1: It also follows another trend we see, not universally, but in cases I think where actors are rebuilding their toolkits, we do see them move towards simplicity. So, yeah. you know, that's a trend that has actually existed for quite a long time, right? I think even if you look at earlier banking trojans, um, you know, including RM3 itself, um, that sort of had a modular, plug-in based architecture where much of the functionality of the malware was loaded post-exploitation our uh, post execution i think that you know that was sort of one of the early attempts at you know simplification and i think we see that further here right we see a we see a change towards okay well maybe we're not looking for a big piece of malware that can do anything we're looking to obtain access and so we will focus on the functionality that allows us to meet that objective and i think we've saw you know it's a, we saw something also fairly similar with the evolution from um Again, this is a different group of cyber criminals, but the, the shift from using Trickbot to Bazaar Loader. And then, furthermore, a subset of those actors are now using, I think, what's publicly called Bumblebee or WeTrack as Shell Sting, where we again see a further shift of, you know, um, sort of from large, complex malware families down to smaller, more purpose built uh, loaders to uh, enable network access. When, when that is the sort of the, the, the core objective.
0: Our thanks to Jeremy Kennelly and soulian Lebeg from Mandiant. The research is titled, From RM3 to LDR4, Ersniff Leaves Banking Fraud Behind. We'll have a link in the show notes. Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Saby, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carole Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.